A lot of times right now, in discussing the coronavirus-related topics, it's less about their own death and more about, well, what if I have to go to the hospital? Like, what's right, going right. to happen? Who's making those decisions for me? So that's become a big topic. If you believe we can change the narrative, if you believe we can change our communities, if you believe we can change the outcomes, then we can change the world. I'm Rob Richardson. Welcome to Disruption Now. Welcome to Disruption Now. I'm your host and moderator, Rob Richardson. I'm Tunde Romana. And I'm Michael Wilde. So we're continuing our coverage to talk about the coronavirus and want to make sure that you you are prepared here on Disruption Now. You know, we disrupt common narratives and constructs. Um, so we want to talk to you about the coronavirus. In general, you have a very small chance of dying from the coronavirus. Doesn't mean you shouldn't take it seriously. I don't want you to take this. Uh, I don't want. I want. I don't want you to take that away from what I said. It is serious. It's something you should take seriously. Uh, but you have a small chance at the highest, maybe three percent chance of actually dying. But you have a hundred percent chance of actually dying. It's going to happen. Sorry. I mean, I, I wish it wasn't true. I wish. I wish I can tell you that. You're never going to die, and there's something you can take, some magical solution. It does not exist. We have not found that one, and I doubt if we're going to find that one. So you might as well be prepared for something that you know is going to happen, and that's why we have Michael Wilde here to really talk about this. People are thinking more about their death because of the coronavirus, and so, and to some extent, that's a good thing because we're all going to die. So we need to think about how, how we can best position our family and what decisions we can make best for ourselves uh, because you're likely not going to die right away. You're going to be sick, and there are things you need to plan for and be aware of during that time. So, uh, Michael, thank you for coming on the show. Absolutely. My pleasure to be here. And, and you are right. The death rate in Florida is 100%. Just as well like as Ohio, Ohio, as well as, well as uh, China, Everywhere. as well as it's 100%. I mean, it's hey, guys, I just wanted to do, do the nerd spoiler. And remember, Emperor Palpatine in Star Wars, he's the only human that figured it out, okay? So there's a, yeah. there is a chance for those listening. Yeah. Well, well yeah, you, you, you know, I always... <laughs> Well, you know what I always point out is, is it's Easter time, and uh, that whole coming back from the dead only worked one time. You know, everyone worked. else stayed dead. <laughs> That's it. So, That's it. You know. That's it. Hey, listen, man. It's, yeah. So, and you don't come back into physical form no matter what you believe. So, yeah, listen. Prepare, prepare, prepare for the inevitable. So, look. Um, how do you approach conversations with families that don't want to have this uncomfortable conversation? Because no one likes to think about their death, but everyone needs to. How do you approach this really uncomfortable conversation with families as you as you talk to them and you walk them through uh, why it's necessary if you're just having a conversation about pitch, if you will, on why you need to prepare for this? Well, you know what the funny thing is, is that I find that the younger and healthier people are the ones who are are more scared of talking about death. Uh, like my grandmother's 92 and she's been in and out of hospitals and and she will just be like yeah i'm surprised i'm still alive it's yeah of course we need to focus on death and uh, then the the 23 year old you know nfl linebacker will be like oh, i don't want to talk about it but i'm scared so um you just you know each person is a little bit different each person has a, a different uh, proclivity to sure. uh, to 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 feel their feeling about death and 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 uh, incapacity and things like that so uh, if it's a person that does feel awkward about talking about their own demise, even when it's not a coronavirus-related uh, subject matter, we start out talking about things like asset protection, you know, things of how, how trusts and wills can work to protect your kids from divorce or creditors or litigation, things or like themselves. that. Or themselves. Yeah, exactly, or themselves, <laughs> absolutely. We, or, you know, son-in-law and daughter-in-law, you know. We, yeah, we also, yeah. um, you know, we talk about power of attorney and healthcare surrogates. So maybe 
you won't die if you're lucky enough. Well, you're going to die eventually, but maybe you won't die soon. If you're lucky enough to live into your 90s uh, or above that, well, you're eventually going to be incapacitated either temporarily or, or permanently. You need to have a power of attorney and a healthcare surrogate, a HIPAA release, an advanced directive to pull the plug, you know, if that, that becomes a, a necessity. So a lot of times right now in discussing the coronavirus related topics, it's less about their own death and more about, well, what if I have to go to the hospital? Like what's right, going right. to happen? Who's making those decisions for me? So that's become a big topic. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious, when you think about folks thinking about their own death, how do you, how do you walk them through a scenario? Is there some type of story you maybe tell them? Let's actually take the story this way. This, can you think of a, uh, of, a, of a circumstance without disclosing names? I know you can't do that. Can you think of a, of a, of a horror story of why, uh, of why this is necessary and let people know that this can't be you if you don't take steps to protect yourself? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we don't only handle estate planning. We also handle probate. And I always tell clients, I make a lot more money off of probate than I do off of planning. The, my clients that plan... It's easy peasy, you know, but when somebody dies, trustee comes in and says, what do I do? Everything's funded in the trust. Let's just create an accounting and distribute or, or create the new trust or whatever it might be. But when it's probate, I have probates that last two, three, four years, even if not litigated. I've got, um, you know, a couple of high profile probates that went into litigation, cost millions of dollars. Um, you know, on, on the low end, a probate is going to cost between three and seven percent of the assets of the estate. So I'll have a client that, even if it's not contested, a client that, that might have a $2 million estate but has to be completely probated, I, I could make $60,000 on that. Whereas that same client, if they were alive and came to me and had an estate plan done, it might cost between $2,500 and $3,500 to avoid all of that. Not to mention, not just the, the legal fees, the court fees, the taxes, creditors. Whenever yeah, we have to do a probate, yeah. We have to open a creditor period, and now people come out of the woodwork and try to, you know, get their pound of flesh. So Absolutely. Absolutely. avoiding all of that is is a necessity. So I there there are uh, you know a multitude of probate stories, even the boring ones that just are because of the courts and the lawyers and different things that 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 the money needs to to um, you know be be split in a, a less less of a pie for the beneficiaries because the, the pieces have been taken out by the creditors, the attorneys, and the, and the court. So to simplify for people, like not planning means that if you don't plan, what that means when you die, you're going to automatically give more money to attorneys like Michael, right? You're going to give more possible money to creditors. You're going to you're going to keep the money from coming to the loved ones that you want the money to go to if you don't have, if you don't have a plan in place because then we got to go guess what your intentions are yeah. And then you leave it to courts and attorneys to spend your money, your time and your resources instead of going to the loved ones. Tunde, like you want to say something. Yeah, no, Mike, I think you bring up some great points um, that I've seen asked a lot of times in our wealth management practice. And, um, you know, for, for a shameless plug for Mike, uh, Mike did my wife and I's personal estate planning work a couple of years ago. And um, he's uh, worked with a lot of our firm's clients, a lot of our financial planning and wealth management firms. So. Um, I really trust Michael's uh, experience and expertise in this area. And that's why I wanted to kind of slow it down, Mike, because you're bringing up some really important points. And I get these questions a lot, you know, kind of like, what is probate? Uh, why do I need a trust? Do I need a trust? Some people are intimidated by the concept of trust just because they think it is something that they are not sure about and all that. So 
I, 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 I wanted to parse out this idea of probate because you made a great point, Rob. If, if you don't make those decisions, what the probate court is basically is that each state has a probate system which says this is the way to legally transfer title from this deceased person to whoever is next in line, which is usually next of kin. Um, but each state does have different ways of doing that. So talk a little bit, Mike, about things because there might be people out here who have family in different states, kids, or they have uh, real estate, different assets in different states, and where things like trust help avoid a lot of the headaches that families experience. And then I know that we can't talk about any of your high profile clients that you specifically work on, but I think high profile names, let's just say that, that we've all seen in the media, uh, Prince, Michael Jackson, Aretha Franklin, um, uh, Anna Nicole Smith, um, you know, I'm hoping Kobe Bryant yeah. had his stuff. Yeah, I don't think Aretha Franklin had a will, did she? So, yeah, so, but at least besides Kobe, I, I know that the others didn't have any uh, estate planning done. And that's when you hear all those horror stories about the family members fighting in court and all the stuff you're talking about, Mike, about the basically the lawyers and the courts make money. So can you explain, like, just kind of walk it back about a trust? What is it? Why is it beneficial? And, and how can families avoid some of these disputes by proper trust planning as opposed to just saying, here's everything in an envelope here, you know, and basically you guys are just going to split this up and, and I'll see you later. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. You make you know, a couple of really great points there. First, I don't know if you can tell behind me, there's one of the posters here, estate planning, failures of the rich and famous. This is the first of like 22 posters they have of people like this. So the it is a common thing, not just among celebrities, though. You know, when when people think about probate, which probate is basically the proving of the will or the transferring of assets from the deceased person to the beneficiaries by way of the court system, uh, it's a cleansing of the assets. It cleanses them of, of uh, you know, any title defects, any creditors, things like that. So there are some positive things that happen during the probate process, but it's very time consuming and it's very expensive. And a lot of people have the misconception that if you have a will, you don't have to go through probate, which is completely false. All wills go through probate. Every will has to go through probate. The assets don't have to go through probate if they're not in the estate. So there are three ways an asset will not be in the estate. One is if it's joint title. And so people sometimes think, oh, well, when my father died, my mother just got everything, so that was easy. Well, a lot of times married couples have joint title, and that's why that happened. It wasn't actually probate, even though the kids thought it, it, that that's what it was. The second way is a beneficiary designation, like on a life insurance policy. If I'm listed as the beneficiary of my father's life insurance, that just goes right to me, doesn't go through probate. There are other reasons to have that go to a trust, like asset protection, creditor protection, and you know things like that, um, and protection from a young beneficiary. But from a standpoint of probate, that avoids it. The third way is the trust owns it. A trust is outside of the estate. So when the trust owns the assets, there are no assets in the estate. So when we open a probate and submit the will to probate, we're not submitting any assets. We're saying there's nothing there. That way, if any creditors are hovering, they don't go after surviving spouse or kids. They're going after the estate. That's the only way they can get money. And they can put in their claim, but there's nothing to get it from. You can't squeeze blood from a stone. So that's an important aspect. Now, the what people think a will does is avoiding probate. What a will actually does is only avoid, avoid what's called the intestate statutes. So in Florida, just like in any other state, there's a statute that describes what happens to assets if a person dies without any documents. Right, right. So if you have a will and you don't have a trust, it does have to go through court 
and you can avoid intestacy. And you could say, okay, judge, even though it's going to cost money and take time, these are the beneficiaries. And as long as the will is valid and not contested, then that's what's going to happen. Right. But if you don't even have a will, now we get the Florida statutes. Now the state gets, gets to decide where everything goes. Exactly. And you, you, don't, you don't have any say anymore because you didn't say it while you were alive. That's exactly I mean, well, and, it. And can I pause on that one too? Because I've seen this issue come up, Mike, and I'd like you to speak about it because I know you have two in your practice with uh, blended families. Yeah, absolutely. You know, of course, it's, this isn't, you know, 100 years ago. We have a large portion of this country, which, you know, are second and third marriages. There's kids from prior marriages versus kids from current marriages, all that. And each state has a different way, if you don't have anything in writing, that they will say that, Either it should all go to the spouse or the biological kids here or there. And I've had clients and families we've worked with where, you know, someone might have older kids like that are like our age, fully grown. You know, the person might be in their 60s and they might have got remarried not too long ago, let's say in the last 10 years. And they have 10 year old kids, yep. hypothetically. So what Dave told me is, look, my kids that are grown understand that, you know, I raised them and I took care of them. Everything that I'm doing now is for you know, this family here. And I still tell them, yeah, that's great that you verbalize that. But depending what situation your older kids are in at the date of your death, they might not honor that as much as they're saying it now when you're alive because money's money and people act funny when they're in a jam. So speak to that if you can, because I'm sure there's a lot of people in the audience that might share that kind of personal experience. How how would you deal with that from an estate planning attorney to a to 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 a family that has this, these these concerns. Absolutely, uh, that happens all the time. And and I'll tell you, so here I, I've got a couple of, of of stories when and also just to bring up that exact example. So you have kids from a previous marriage that are older. You have kids from a current marriage that are younger, and you have no documents. What the state says is we're going to give if you die and you have a million dollars, half a million dollars is going to go to your current wife. And half a million dollars is going to go to your kids from the previous marriage. Nothing is going to go to the kids from the current marriage because the way the statutes read, and it's it's really a, a short-sighted uh, um, drafting, is that the kids that you have with your current wife, well, she's going to take care of them. So we're going to give her the money. We're not going to give them the money. So you're accidentally disinheriting those younger children because what's your wife going to do? She's going to need the money. She's going to pay the mortgage. She's going to sure. pay the bills. So your kid, your older kids got half your money. Your current wife gets half your money. And your younger kids get nothing. Yeah. And that happens more often than people realize. I have a client years ago. Now, they're alive. Thank goodness they came to me for the planning purposes. And it was the wife, the new wife that came to me. She was friends uh, with a, a person who I had done their estate plan. And she came to me that the, the doctor husband didn't want to do it. A lot of times doctors, you know. Yeah. Hard, hard to get them to, to, to realize they're going to die. So, no, you know, no. They, <laughs> but, you're saying doctors Well, the old joke about doctors is what's the difference between God and a doctor is God doesn't think he's a doctor. So it, it's uh, the, 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 the idea with doctors is they talk about more asset protection being sued. So we talk about that with them. But when it comes to death, they say, you know, I'm not, I'm not really worried about it. Well, with this woman, she was worried about it because it was a private practice that she actually co-ran with her doctor husband. Now, she's not a doctor, so she couldn't be on it as an owner, but she was basically the bookkeeper, the the marketer, the everything else. And they split everything. It was understood. He even admitted it's 50-50, but not on paper. It's not 50-50 legally. It's 50-50 because that's how they shared it. Now, they had two young children together. 
and he had three children from a previous marriage. Now, his three children, he was much older than her. His three children were all fully grown. They had their own kids. The two children were that they had together were teenagers. When she came to me and she said, um, we don't have any estate planning, and I explained to her the exact thing I just told you today, which is that if you don't do anything and he dies, the practice gets liquidated, all of his assets go 50% to you and 50% to his kids from previous. Well, she was up in arms about that. Right. So finally, we did get everyone to sit down. His CPA, um, his CPA tells him, no, no, no. Years ago, you had an estate plan drafted. Don't worry. I did it for you, which is why you, you go to a specialist. You don't go to you know some guy who can just do whatever. By the way, your accountant should not draft. Not no offense to accountants. Accountants should not draft your, your will or your trust of or any of that. They could be involved in the process, but they Absolutely. shouldn't be the drafters. But go ahead. That's no, just as exactly. my, that's my I think that it's part of the three-legged stool, the, the tax advisor, the legal advisor, the financial advisor. But um, but yeah, the, the, this, this guy, he had drafted an estate plan for this doctor friend client. And uh, the estate plan gave everything to the ex-wife because that's when it was done. It was done 15 years ago. Oh, wow. And it was never updated. Yeah. Yeah, he would have been. I would have been. He would not have been happy with that, but he wouldn't have known because he'd be dead. So go ahead. That's exactly. I mean, don't know. Now his 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 current wife would know if she'd be. Yeah, she wouldn't be happy right at all. So and and the thing is that there's an argument. Like a lot of people will say, "Oh, we well, fired that CPA." Right. That's yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, there's, there's and there's an argument that people would say would say, uh, "Well, okay. Well, the, doesn't the law say that if you're divorced, they don't get?" That's only on beneficiary designations. So if you name an ex-wife as the beneficiary of a life insurance policy or an IRA, they're treated as predeceasing, but not necessarily on a trust document. But I think this, this, if I can, I can interrupt you for a second, I think this story points to something that's very important that really, I'll just confess, I've just begun to really realize it's so important to talk to your family all the time about death and debt, but the death, talk to them about Cause it's going to happen. You know, I've, ta- I've been very intentional. Tune knows this. Uh, my, uh, my, uh, my, my, my sister left us this year. And so that experience, when you, when you experience someone dying, that is your sister, it becomes real to you. Like, you know, one, it's a part of you that's gone. But then two, like, this is going to happen to me. I mean, you always know it's going to happen to you, but what I'm saying is, you know, when my sister died, that made me realize that this is, this is a real thing. And so, I want to have conversations with my wife. I want to have conversations with my parents about what their intentions are, what they want. Uh, it's not that we avoided the conversation, but no one wants to say, "Oh, well, let's talk about let's talk about death today," right? I mean, like, but the the, the fact is, you know, as part of our regular talks when we deal with finances, that's a part of it now. And I and I, I still need to do my trust, so I'm going to do it. And all this stuff is now on my brain a lot more than it was. The coronavirus now is, hopefully has put it on everyone's brain, our own mortality. But there's an opportunity within that. You know, you can't control when you, for the most part, I mean, you jump out in front of a bus, you might die if you want to do that. But for the most part, you can't control your mortality, but you can't control the process going through. And Michael, speak to the fact that people might think this is only for the super rich, only they need to worry about it. But lots of more people, more, more people than you think would be affected by this if you own any amount of property, any type of insurance. Talk about why this is not just for the rich and famous. You're, you're 100% right. First of all, People, that's another thing about the people think that what's rich and what's not. So some people come in my office and they, well, I don't even have an estate. I'm like, well, everyone has an estate. So the question is, you know, how large? Now, if you have no real estate and no business interest, 
and your total assets in your estate are less than $75,000, you probably don't need to worry about the trust. Still should have power of attorney in place, healthcare surrogate, those type of things that we call those the under the bridge documents, you know, um, that, you know, even if you live under a bridge, you have to you know, have those in place. But when it comes to a trust, a trust is for, you know, if we're just using it to avoid probate, anything above $75,000 in, in total assets. And especially if we're talking about assets like real estate or business interests, because those are also assets that are liabilities and that shrivel up if not tended to. So if the probate process on the short side of it take, takes between six and 18 months, what happens to your small business if you can't operate it for six to 18 months? What happens to your real estate if you can't rent it for six to 18 months? or sell it for six to 18 months. What happens during that period of time? Well, there's taxes, there's insurance, there's maybe somebody could slip and fall on the property, you're liable for that now. So these are these are issues that, that come up a lot. Or if you wanna so, make sure your kids don't waste all the money waste all in there, the just sell off the interest or just, you know, uh, we had another show where someone came on, he said, listen, you know, uh, if, I left, if I left my son or daughter Two million dollars, but didn't teach them financial literacy. It doesn't matter; they'll be out. So some people don't want to give all their kids so much money all at once. They rather have it parse out. So there's also reasons to do that, right? I mean, absolutely. That's well. That's why I was saying before, even with things like life insurance, even something that we can avoid probate with a beneficiary designation, I still suggest having the trust be the beneficiary because number one, look, my kids are 11 and six. I don't want them definitely getting uh, you know as much life insurance as I have. I don't want them getting that at 11 and six, nor do I want them getting it when they're you know 18 and, and 23 or whatever. Yeah, age I, I, I didn't need it at 21. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, you you know I always say that when I was myself. when I was 18 years old, if you gave me a hundred thousand dollars, I'd be like, I'm rich. I don't have to work. And that's you know, exactly what I'd say too. <laughs> and now, and now let's go party. Let's go to the exactly. club. Yeah, well, let's now, make it happen. At 41, you give me a hundred thousand dollars. I'm like. Nah, no, I'll invest a little. Maybe I'll go on vacation yeah. for a weekend. You know, it's like, it's yeah. not life changing. I'll leave the office early today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's not life changing anymore. But, but it, so I think that, you know, that's why I like personally the age 30 um, of, of when a, a beneficiary can, can access their money unfettered. Now, until that time, obviously, we always let the trustee pay for health, education, maintenance, support, things like that. And then clients can get specific. Because to your original question, what a trust is. Is just a contract. It's a contract between the grantor who sets it up, the trustee who administers it, and the beneficiary who receives the benefit from it. The goal of the trust is to be so clear that I can leave it out on the corner where a non-lawyer picks it up and reads it and says, no, I get what this person was trying to do. Because the trustee is usually a non-lawyer. Sometimes they do choose a trust company or an attorney to do it, in which case it makes it more straightforward. But you need to be able to understand what the wishes of the grantor was. And that's why keeping it out of the court system is so important. Because once you go into court, no offense to the judges, judges, they're not specific to just one area. They have to know a lot of different legal areas. And if you try to be a generalist, then you're going to miss out on a lot of things. So most good judges, what they'll do during a probate litigation is say, you guys figure this out because I'm going to rule wrong. Oh, right. Tune in. Yeah, no, this is great, Mike, because you're giving some great, I'm writing down notes because more things are coming up. I mean, one of the things that I was thinking, and, and I think I'll, I'll, I'll leave my questions about the business community and estate planning, maybe just for the end, so that we don't confuse the kind of the flow here. But 
At some point, I wanted you to speak to culture because what you guys were talking about earlier was very interesting um, because I've seen it in my practice too, especially living here in South Florida. Uh, we have so many different cultures in this melting pot down here that I found that de depending on where someone's from, how they were raised, whether certain parts of this country culturally or from different countries around the world, um, it, we as advisors have to be very sensitive about how we talk about death. Um, because in some circles, like I think for us being kind of the general American crowd, uh, we can we can talk about death pretty freely and openly. We're pretty comfortable with some of these these conversations out in the open. But I've dealt and learned sometimes the hard way that there's certain cultures where death is a very is much is just dealt with much differently. So at some point, if maybe you just speak to that for some it's of the avoided, audience, because I think, go ahead. I think yeah, and Rob, Rob, you made a great. Um, analogy about your personal story because what I'm trying to help is those in the audience who especially now like you said with everything going on with COVID and these things might be on their mind more they might they might want to bring this up to their parents or some relative and loved one that may have immigrated from a different part of the world or something it's just yep. maybe they need some guidance as to how to deal with that cultural and I think when people think about it, to your point uh, and I'll let you go back to days that some people think like oh, am, I, am I projecting that they're going to die from COVID-19. No, you're, you're projecting that they're going to die. Like, Correct. So, yeah. so this, the this point is, is prepare for that. It might be on people's mind now. So that was one thought. The second was going back to your point about how people have seen other family members have joint titling. I wanted to really speak to that because, um, and I'm sure, Mike, you've seen it, um, especially in certain cultures in this country, are used to putting their mama on things, you know, all yeah, that stuff. stuff. And the worst mistake. What, yeah. And, and I was going to share, you know, we have a client that right now, unfortunately, um, and Mike, this is someone you know, obviously we'll rename Nameless on the show, but net worth of around 30 million, um, a high proportion of that is in, in commercial real estate assets. And um, this client's brother was their partner in the real estate business. So out of the $30 million net worth, or so I guess the brother is joint ownership on about $10 million worth of real estate. Um, Unfortunately, in January of this year, the brother caught the wife cheating. Uh, they are going through a divorce now. And, you know, even though she's the one cheating, we're in a no-fault state here in Florida. Um, her attorney is very aggressive and they're going for 50% of those assets. That really is the client of ours asset. But she put her brother, thinking she was being strategic for other reasons, put her brother on, on the property. And needless to say... You know who she is, Mike, but she hasn't met with you, which is why she didn't get the proper advice. But um, but but the but the idea, and I've seen that in, in much smaller. I know the thirty million dollar net worth and all that's one thing, but you know you could have just someone that puts their parent on a house or on a bank account or the kids on this or that, and someone could get divorced, someone could get sued in litigation, and what happens is that asset that they're on the title of now is brought into that that court case. So. That's something I wanted to warn the, the audience about. And then lastly, because you got me thinking about a few things here. One was a special needs, because unfortunately, there's going to be people out here dealing with estate planning and this COVID crisis. And we all have friends with kids that have autism, Down syndrome, you know, these these very important uh, issues. And there's different um, estate planning techniques for those who have uh, kids with special uh, needs. And even different decisions on things like life insurance. And then I'll end on this and, and I'll stay quiet um, because our youngest son was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when he was five. So when my wife and I were doing redoing our estate plan with Michael, 
part of the process was we increased our life insurance um, because I used to have that attitude, you know, I'm the man, I'll always work. So I had a very low amount on my life thinking, yeah, we just maybe help me pay the mortgage. And then after that, I'm going to work. But I increased the death benefit actually on my wife to two and a half million because I realized while my son is young, in the event that she were to pass, she is so instrumental in dealing with his diabetes that I have to make a choice if she's not here. I either got to stop working or really slow it down. And I got to tend to him while he's young like this, pretty much full time, or I got to be able to hire a professional like a nurse to literally be his nanny and his babysitter while I'm working. So I just figured either choice, I need a few million bucks in a bank if she's not here to take care of that. So I say all that to share with the audience that think of your situation and really what it would take if you or your loved one wasn't here, if you're a parent or you have elderly parents that, that are, that are um, uh, being taken care of by you. So I'm done. I'll get off my soapbox. <laughs> so, all right. So I'll, I'll, I guess I'll take them backwards. Um, yeah. yeah. So, uh, Remember, I got the business stuff later on. Yeah. So get ready. Yeah, we'll do that next and then we'll conclude on that. Go. So from a, from a special needs standpoint, uh, yes, we, we handle a lot of special needs planning. In fact, this morning I just did a consultation for a woman whose husband died last year. And now it, the coronavirus actually got her to think about it. Uh, in addition to her husband dying last year, she has a, a 12-year-old son that is autistic. Um, he's functioning, but he can't manage his own finances. And if something happened to her, you know, before there were two spouses. So they thought, okay, well, one of us could do it. But now there's not. Now there's just the one. And she, now she's really looking at it as, oh, my God, you know, I'm, I'm unprepared for this. Uh, luckily, they did have things owned jointly as husband and wife. So she didn't have to probate anything except the car, which as a side note, there's a statute in Florida that says if the car is the only asset, you don't have to open a probate. You can just transfer it. So that's a good thing for her. That uh, And it's good that she spoke to me about that before going to the courthouse. But, um, you know, it's very important not only to, to state what is going to happen with that asset as far as, you know, being protected from the standpoint of Medicaid, Social Security disability, or just the fact that the child might not be able to manage their own finances, those type of things, but also who's doing it. So a lot of times someone will say, okay, well, my son is uh, low functioning. Um, he'll never be able to manage his own stuff. He'll never be able to live on his own. And he's on Medicaid. Um, I'm going to name his older brother as, uh, as the, the trustee. And his older brother is 19 years old. And I said, well, why, why would you do that? Well, he loves him. He's, of course he loves him. That's great. Let him, let him live with him. That's fine. But does he know about the Medicaid statutes? Does he know like what is the eligibility, Medicaid eligibility? Does he know what can be dispersed? What, how money has to be managed? Does he know how to create an accounting? Like, does he know these things? He's 19, probably not. So it's probably a good idea when it comes to special needs planning to not just discuss the who's getting what and how they're getting it, but who's doing what. It's very important. So from a special needs standpoint, be it diabetes or, or autism or Down syndrome, or even honestly, sometimes gambling, addiction, things like that. It's important who gets what, how they get it, and who does what. Instead of where I've seen in the past where uh, a person thinks, oh, well, my son's on disability, so I'm just going to just disinherit him. And they'll write in the, the, the document in their own will. They'll do it on LegalZoom. And they'll say, I disinherit my son, Steve. And then when I review the document, I say, well, what's Steve do to upset you? She goes, no, no, I, I love Steve so much. He's my favorite, but he's, he's on Medicaid. I can't give him any money. I said, well, you can if you come to an attorney and it's done the right way. Right. So we do a lot of special needs planning from that standpoint. Um, to, the, to the other short answer, the first question you asked, the, uh, the different cultures. 
So we do deal with that a lot, especially in South Florida, because we have a few machismo cultures that live down here. We've got the Latin American culture, we've got the Russian culture, and the um, and 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 they don't like to talk about not being in control. Like I'm in control, so I will take care of everything for my family. But the idea is that okay, you can be in control now, but eventually you are going to die. I had one one gentleman, a Cuban gentleman. He said, "I, I don't want to sign my estate plan because I think if I sign it, I'll die next week." I said, "Sir, if you think you're going to die next week, sign it immediately. Like sign it now. Like get it done." Yeah, that's exactly why we should sign. Yeah, that's why we should sign it. So, so I want I want to make sure that all these documents are in place and funded, so that way we don't have to worry about it. Now, and, and, uh, go ahead. Oh no, I was going to say from a financial standpoint, today you probably see this all the time. I had a woman that I did a probate for her. So the husband died, I probated. I found out she's got this money. It's not a tremendous amount, but like a million dollars invested, right? It's in the market. The husband was doing all the management himself, day trading, oh, yeah. like just picking stocks, and to his credit, had done a fantastic. Fantastic job. I mean, even in the bear markets, had done a great job. But now he's dead. So when I said, "Hey, can I introduce you to a financial advisor?" She said, "No, my husband hated working with financial advisors. He always did everything himself." I'm like, "But he's not here." She says, "No, I want to honor his wish to not use a financial advisor." So I said, "Do you know what you have right now? You're in an airplane with no pilot. Like, what are you doing? I mean, and I, honestly." I'd be interested to see what she ended up doing because as of February 20th of this year, she probably wasn't upset. But between oh, February 20th yeah. and April 7th, I'm curious just, to see just, how just, it's been Just going. give me her number, Mike. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> see how much she has left. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's not, a, that's not a good look. I would say, you know, beyond just obviously dying, there is being incapacitated, which, is, sure. which can happen a lot too. You know, really talk to why that's important to also plan for your, your medical needs, your living, but something happens to you. Talk about why that's important. Absolutely. So first, from a medical standpoint, people don't realize this, but even if you are married or even if you have an adult child, they're not entitled to make decisions for you. I mean, a lot of doctors will allow you know, the spouse to have some input or, or an adult child to have some input as far as, hey, we'd like to try this surgery. What do you think? Things like that. If the, 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 the parent or the spouse, the other spouse is in the hospital or something like that, but if you even go to the dentist and say, can I pick up the x-rays for my wife? They'll say, do you have a HIPAA release on file? Because if you don't, they, they could be fined $10,000 per violation of HIPAA, the Health you know, Information Protection Act. So we need to make sure that we have the right people in place making those decisions. In fact, every client who has adult children, I tell them, if your child's going off to college, you have to get them to put you on as their healthcare surrogate and HIPAA release proxy. Because if you're up at school and you're in an accident and they call the school to say, hey, what's going on with my child? They can't tell you. The school can't tell you anything unless you have it on file. Wow. In fact, back with, uh, I remember in 2006 when there was the Virginia Tech shootings, maybe it's 2007, Virginia Tech shootings, people were calling up to check on their kids and they were being told, we can't even tell you if they were in the room with the shooter. So it's important that you have those documents on file from a healthcare standpoint. And it could be as simple, again, as just like I remember I had my wisdom teeth pulled and I was on a steady diet because uh, I had a dry socket. I was on a steady diet of Vicodin and scotch. And I don't remember anything that happened during those three days. But when I needed some medical information picked up, 
I did have a HIPAA release and my healthcare surrogate was able to pick up that information for me. So that's important. And then obviously people think about the advanced directive. It's important that if you're on life support and you don't want to be held, kept alive artificially, just like the Terry Schiavo case from 05, you need yep. to have it specifically drafted, you know, initialed where it's proper. And, and so that, that can be, the, the plug can be pulled. From a power of attorney standpoint, people don't think about the financial. Everyone thinks about the medical. But anyone who's ever watched Rocky V knows that. Rocky IV, he goes to Russia, puts his manager in charge, his durable power of attorney, comes back and he's broke because the manager stole all his money and left. You got to be smart about who you're putting in charge of your financial decisions. So if you are incapacitated and you put someone in charge, or if you're just, doesn't even have to be physically incapacitated because right now, uh, any power of attorney is durable. It doesn't have to be proven capacity. I can make anyone my power of attorney. They can go to the bank right now. You got to pick that person that's going to make the same financial decisions that you would make and someone that you trust. Don't pick someone who's filed bankruptcy three times. Don't pick someone who you think might steal from you. This is a person that's going to have access to everything, including yeah. not just your financial affairs, but things that we don't consider like online assets. Not yeah, just I was going to get to that. That's so, that's so important. Online assets to sure. think about that. No, absolutely. I mean, right now, now look, I know that my Instagram page is worth slightly less than Kim Kardashian's Instagram page, but they both have a value. <laughs> and yeah. we need to make sure that digital assets are protected as well. So you want to make sure that you've designated who has the right to your, to, to access your Facebook, Instagram. You know, and, it, and it will probably take, if you have any type of public file like we do, um, yeah. you know, your, your, all your content probably takes more value when you're not here anymore. So like, it's really important. You may not be, some people make their, make the most money when they're dead. <laughs> so that's very true. You know, you can ask, you can ask Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali did pretty well, but after he died, his estate is worth a lot now. So or, it's like I, protecting Michael those Jackson. assets and thinking about that and thinking about the brand you developed is really important. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Michael Jackson, technically when he died, he died bankrupt. And the day after he died, he was worth a billion dollars. Like the estate was worth a billion dollars because of all of the, he owned all the Beatles songs. He owned his songs. I mean, all of that intellectual property was worth so much money. It couldn't even be fathomed. Yeah, that's a great point. So I want to speak to businesses very quickly and then ask you a couple of questions. I know, uh, Tune, did you have specific questions about businesses that you wanted to? Yeah, it does. And we can get into it in the conversation, Mike. Things like um, how to protect your interest in a business. You know, I've seen a... Um, even with some of our clients, you know, they fund the trust, but then they forget to actually put their business interest in the trust. Yep. So then if they die, you know, there's a risk that the business, you, you know, like let's say you're a partner in an S Corp or an LLC, you've got membership, the shares you own could be probated. And then techniques like buy sell agreements, um, any asset protection ideas you have for business owners, just kind of whatever you feel, sure. Mike, that the business community should hear here. Well, and it ties into the, the other question that you had about joint titling too. Um, I see that the biggest place I see the joint titling mistake is on deeds where like moms or dads will put their son or daughter on a deed and it causes a, a property tax issue, causes a homestead issue, it causes a, a gift exemption issue, it causes a capital gains issue. Those are big problems. But on businesses, it's even worse. So when you talked about that example of, oh, I'm just going to put whoever I want on this business, you can't just put their name on there. We've got to have documents showing that there are like, for instance, that person, if they wanted their brother on there, fine. But then there has to be a waiver of business interest that the brother's wife signs that saying that if they ever do get divorced, this asset is not part of the divorce because she recognizes that it's not a marital asset. 
how or or even a prenup or postnup, which is an ideal situation to have a prenup or postnup, even if it only carves out the business, carve out that business, keep it separate. Buy sell agreements are crucial. Every time I have a successful business client that comes in here, usually in the neighborhood of five to ten years after they start their business, if they're lucky enough to make it past you know that five year mark where you know the business is doing well, I always recognize that they have what I call an upside down pyramid. They when they started their business. They thought, okay, I hope this works. I'm going to go on Sunbiz by myself. I'm going to pay the money. I'm going to register the, the name of my company. Then I'm going to go and have my CPA uh, file for a tax ID number. And then I'm going to go on GoDaddy and get a domain. And now we're up and running and let's make some money. And then what you become is the game show contestant in the tube full of money swirling around. And you're just trying to grab money the whole time and just put as much money in your pockets as you Which can. Which is a good problem to have if you're in a business. But it's go ahead. A, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I want, want that problem. problem. Let's <laughs> hope for that problem. Well, go well, ahead. And, and if you do it well, if you do it well, all of a sudden you, you say, oh, wow, my business now is worth $5 million, $10 million, $50 million. And what do you have? You have no, no foundation. There's no protection. So if they're lucky enough to be referred to me, what we do is we start out by saying, okay, well, tell me what documents you have. And they go, I don't have anything. I don't have an operating agreement, nothing. So I say, okay, let's sit down with the partners and talk about these things. And what you'll need, it starts, it does start again with a trust because the trust is going to be the investment avatar for the person. The trust is going to own all the interests, including the business interest. So now we've got the trust. So let's say we have two business partners just to, make, to make it easy. So we've got two partners. They each have a trust in place. Now they say, well, one partner's married, one partner's single. Hmm, what are we going to do here? So we've got to create a, an agreement that carves out the business interest from the married partner to make sure it's not affecting the unmarried. Now, if the unmarried partner is is engaged we need you know to have some type of prenuptial agreement that says the business is protected also and and a lot of times people they get scared about um a lot of times people get scared about the uh the the, the idea of uh talking to the spouse about the prenuptial or postnuptial agreement well the, I think the easiest thing to do in a partnership is just blame the other partner's wife. <laughs> you know, it's not you, honey. I swear, it's 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 her. <laughs> we have to protect against her. So or husband. So so those are important aspects. A buy sell agreement, not from not just from a standpoint of death. You know, cross purchase buy sell funded by life insurance is a necessity in case a business partner dies. But what happens if one of the partners just doesn't want to do it anymore? What happens if 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 one of them retires, resigns, becomes incapacitated? goes through a divorce, goes through bankruptcy. The buy-sell agreement has to address all of these things. So we need to have a partnership operating agreement. We need to have a buy-sell agreement. We need to have trust. And we need to have a, either a prenuptial or postnuptial agreement if they're married. And if they're not married, then definitely when they eventually do get married, then each one has to have that prenuptial agreement, even if it only addresses the business interest. So all of those things are a necessity for a business owner who hopes to be successful or it already is successful. I mean, that's, but, and business owners don't like to think about those type of things. You're like, why, why think about those type of things? But just like we talked about, you know, I won't say it's 100% that's going to happen. It's, gonna, it, it's, it's likely that there could be problems at some point if you don't plan for them. It's all about planning uh, so you don't have the disaster happen. So a couple of uh, lighthearted questions. In this uh Corona crisis time, this quarantine time. You have any any funny stories to share? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're all you know. You can see I'm I'm at my office right now because uh, I didn't want screaming kids in the background of uh, you know a, a video uh, conference that was going to be shared with the world. But 
uh, this morning I was on a conference call with a new client and luckily she has a young child as well. And in the, uh, towards the end of our conference call, my six-year-old son walks in in just his underwear and says, Daddy, I need breakfast. My pancakes are more important <laughs> than your call. And um, the, the client was like, Yo, we, uh, your, his pancakes might be more important than this call. You should probably, <laughs> probably heat up some pancakes for him. But, uh, but actually, you know, this, this brave new world of, 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 of operating in this quarantine, it's, it's, you know, it's funny. I said that there's three different types of people that are quarantined right now, and none of us can associate with the other two as far as the thought process. There are people that are single, no kids, and they're home thinking, man, this is great to be able to watch all this Netflix and catch up on all these books. And I'm like meditating and I'm like, oh, it's so, can't really get into your own mind and really improve. And then there are the people who have grown kids and they're worried like, oh my God, I can't see my kids. I'm, I can't see my grandkids. And I'm really, you know, I'm, I'm scared for my family. And then there are the entrepreneurs who have very young kids who spend half the day homeschooling and I swear to God, it, <laughs> th th this canvas and clever and all this stuff, it's ridiculous. It really and, is. Uh, it's horrible. <laughs> and, and, and then at the same time, I'm trying to balance the, the business and everything. And, and, and I will tell you, it's, it's, it's very difficult. Today, I have to admit, like you see people who know me, I normally don't have any facial hair, but, but at least I groomed it. Um, I, this is the first time I've brushed my hair in weeks. And, uh, and, and even, and even now, I mean, I'm, I'm like, I'm like a, uh, you know, a, an iceberg or, or a duck on the pond where what you see above the water is not exactly what you see below. <laughs> so it's, you know, we're, we're in a brave new world here where, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to all work in the best way possible. But you know what the cool thing is throughout all of it. All the clients, no matter what age, what 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 situation they're, they all are in the same boat. As far as they're like, yeah, yeah, no, I know, I'm working from home too, and I'm trying to yeah. make it work and do yeah. all this. Yeah, my kids are screaming, sorry, sorry, yeah. the noise, sorry, the interruption, and exactly. like having 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 uh taking care of my face in a while. You get it, whatever. You don't exactly. Know. Yeah, we're all in the same boat. What do you um in that? What do you take away that you think may be better as a result of this? What hope might you have after this after this experience? Not only for the U.S our cities, but really in general, humanity. Well, you know what the coolest part, I mean, it is, I, you know, I joke about the kids and everything. It, every morning, my daughter and I go for a walk around the neighborhood. Like that's the first thing we do. We wake up at 8 a.m. before my son and my and my ex uh, wake up. The, the, we walk around the block and, and, and we, you know, we just have some daddy-daughter time. Like that's, that's kind of a cool thing that, I, you know, I tend to be uh, guilty, just like every other business owner that business, you know, I, I put my kids first when, it, when it's important. Obviously, I'm never missing any of their events or activities or anything like that. But on a day to day basis, you, you really are like, oh, my job is to work. Well, having the having it be acceptable to work different hours, I think is kind of a cool thing that might translate later on. Also, it might be one of these things that even after the quarantine's lifted, I'm able to, like I told a client today, a client texted me just before this call and said, hey, could, could we uh, finish up this thing at 6 p.m. tonight? I go, no, my kids have to eat dinner at 6 p.m. tonight. I said, hey, that's not an option today. You know, that, that'll have to be an earlier time. So I think that it's become more acceptable. In the past, um, past being two weeks ago, Lots <laughs> changed in two weeks, yeah, brother. Jeez. Two weeks. It yeah. feels like it's been like eight years. It really has. <laughs> but, 
a whole different universe, a decade. I mean, damn. Oh, my, 20, and you told me the 2020 your, decade was going to start this way. Tom Hanks and Castaway, man, after like five, <laughs> when he was all skinny with his beard. <laughs> That's what I said. I, but I, can you I, think I, like 2010 was like, this is the beginning of this decade. You're like, damn, what does this mean to me? But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> I know. Well, that's what I saw. I saw a funny meme uh, a couple, uh, like or a week ago, I guess, that said, uh, what is today, March 97th? Like, how are we still in March? Like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> well, and it, and it's only setting in, you know, now, too, because... Uh, well, you know, we're in April. Good uh, news, we're in April. Well, now we're in April. Go ahead. But, yeah. but, 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 the, uh, but it's funny that uh, it, the quarantine, the first week of quarantine was spring break. So it was, there was no homeschooling. It was like, I was yeah. going to take that week off anyway. I yeah. say, like, yeah. I was hanging out with my kids, playing by the pool. Like, that was a plan. Except we can't go. To and you forgot about a fourth person. These college students that are missing out on their spring break. Oh, I feel so sorry for them. I had a great well, spring break, but anyway, go ahead. Well, a lot of them, a lot of them down here didn't miss out. They just well, spread COVID. Say, yeah, that, that's, a pro- that's a problem. Florida, oh. Which is yeah. why it's all over. This virus is all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Trust it's, me, the beaches were open. But, that's for sure. Oh, I know. It was. It was. And now it's kind of neat. Where like everything. I mean, people are outside exercising more and and spending more time with the kids and stuff like that. Now, what it will do, and we don't do divorce here, but we update estate plans after divorce. And I will tell you, we're gonna have more divorce filings. After oh, you're gonna have some, brother, oh, big time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you gotta sit in your relationship. If you don't like that person, woo! I feel sorry for you. Exactly. Wow. <laughs> you're gonna sprint out of there as soon as yeah. The, the, you got no escape for work. Up. You got no reason to be anywhere else. You can't. You can't go off to the side. If you have other things going on, you are there. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> there's no excuse. Yeah. There's no excuse. There's no like. Oh, None. I have I'm to go. Real. I have it's to go rough. to this event. I have to go to this. Yeah. I got to go to the office. Yeah. Your spouse looking at you. You have nothing to go to. Yeah. You have nothing. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> In the kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> I know. So that's that's gonna be a fun thing. That's gonna be you know when it's all said and done to see. The response of does it bring people together or does it push them apart? Because uh, I will tell you, it's uh, it's it's different when you know everyone compares it to like Pearl Harbor or 9/11. I heard the Surgeon General over the weekend say that those were different. Those were like, hey, those guys over there are the bad guys. Yeah. Let's all yeah. go to come together and fight those guys over there. But right now, it's there's no there's no end in sight. There's no there's no bad guy. It's just like it's I don't know. It's to me. I, I think my prediction is by June, everyone goes so crazy that people just, you know, don't obey the quarantine anyway, even if it's still there. And we just everyone starts reopening. And I actually think they know that. I think that I think yeah. the goal is to, to figure to figure out they can flatten it enough to get people to stay in for enough time to flatten it because human nature at some point it's going to take over. Like if oh, people yeah. I do think I'm not saying this is responsible for people to do. I'm just saying I just can't foresee a situation where people stay in the house for six months. Like I just don't, I don't see, maybe that happens. I don't see it happening, but I think we'll be able to come out of it before then. Uh, But anyway, look, we've learned a lot. Michael, uh, I really appreciate it. Michael Wild. Uh, Hopefully you can come back on the show sometime when we have more questions. Uh, But I think the, the, listen, the, the takeaway is plan your life or somebody else is going to plan it for you. 